it's not unusual to find plenty of wine caves and wine cellars in wine country. What is unusual is discovering a sophisticated broadcast facility inside these well-protected and often top-secret chambers. But maybe it really isn't that surprising that America's number one wine broadcast originates from the soul of wine country. And it is our great privilege to do all we can to inspire you. If you drink wine simply because, well, it's a drink, we've got our work cut out. For literally thousands of years, wine has fueled celebrations, ended conflicts, and provided the ultimate connection between one human being and another. It makes food taste better, lifts spirits, sparks our imagination, and beckons us to slow down and love life. If that all sounds good to you, you're in the right place. So sit back, clear your head, put any worries you have on hold, and join us as we go in search of this week's Grape Encounter. But be warned, we speak a much different language than what you typically experience in most wine-centric environments. But you didn't come here because you're ordinary, did you? Good, because your host, David Wilson, is here to take you far, far away from the beaten path. Here's David. And it's time for your weekly grape encounter. And I gotta tell you what, I have not been this excited about doing an interview in a really long time because as you know, I have been carrying, I have been carrying the torch trying to find things that we can do as we muddle through the COVID crisis. And I know we're all trying to be good citizens, but when it comes to wine people, we like to get out. We love our wine adventures. We love to socialize with friends and we're told we can't even do that. So I always try to put my head together with people who are trailblazers, people who are trying to find interesting ways to make wine even more fun. And it's a challenge right now. We know that, right? Well, I got on the show today a very mighty voice in the wine business, and she's blushing right. You're blushing, as a matter of fact. It is Marianne Warabick, and she is the senior editor and senior tasting coordinator for dun, 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 Wine Spectator magazine. Marianne, thank you for joining me. Oh, thank you for having me here. And yes, I was blushing and trying not to giggle. Um and yes, I've been with Wine Spectator now for 25 years. I'm based in the Napa office. Our main office is in New York, and the Napa office is pretty much where we review all of the wines from the Western Hemisphere, just to make it simple. Well, we're going to talk about all kinds of things, but I want to actually talk about how you drifted into the wine business. I don't even think it was drifted from what I understand. It just, it was like, wow, I got to do this. You, like me, were focused on politics. Aren't you glad you're not now? <laughs> but you were, you were a poli-sci major, right? And uh, from yeah. uh, Ohio State, if I've got that right? The Ohio State University. The they, Ohio they, State. Uh, brainwashed us. In, <laughs> okay, all right. I was a political science and sociology double major. Um, I did work for the Ohio House of Representatives while I was in school. Awesome. Um, I had plans to go on to graduate school, and I just always wanted to help people. And as much as I was a hippie at heart, I, I wanted to do it from within uh, the framework of, of structured institutions. I did have a disillusionment with um, politics, and I found myself working in a wine shop after a trip to the Finger Lakes region in New York uh, really turned me on to, you know, this world of wine. And I was telling you earlier, I think one thing that really um, 
the thread that runs both through wine and, and politics for me is how passionate people are about the people who enter it. It's really yeah. a calling for a lot of people. And I, I just really wanted to be around that energy. I'm not a frustrated winemaker inside. I just want to talk to people who wake up every morning with a purpose and a goal and a vision. And I'm so lucky to do that. So I worked in wine shops. I got sucked into the restaurant industry for a while while in Columbus, Ohio. And then I felt I wasn't supposed to live in Ohio for the rest of my life. Yeah. And I moved out to San Francisco with a dream of working in the wine industry. Um, and I did work uh, for about a year in the office of a, of a winery and uh, then got the job at Winespect here 25 years ago. So, and worked my way up the ranks. So, I, I think working in nonprofits like the government also kind of set me up for working in, in editorial. It's a very similar mindset. And relocating to California 25 years ago as a wannabe hippie, not a bad choice. Had yeah. you had any ex- experience <laughs> with California or did you just do it on a dare? Oh, it was really a dare. It's something you only do in your 20s. Um, I knew I wanted to live in a city with a lot of cultural and educational opportunities. I I thought I might go back to grad school. I uh, was dating a musician at the time. um, And it was really either New York or San Francisco. And I I don't want to get too off track, but really quickly, we went to New York uh, during the Great Blizzard of 96 which was fascinating and hilarious and fun. And I love New York um, very much, but it did kind of feel like a kick in the pants to go in the other direction. Um, And our visit to San Francisco to check it out and visit some friends, but it was so beautiful. And um, I just, I really melted uh, driving up 29 to Napa to visit wineries that I, whose wines I had really enjoyed. So it was kind of a no brainer after a very little bit of research. We put our stuff into storage. We camped our way across the country for about six or seven weeks, got to see a lot of it, and ended up in San Francisco. Does it amaze you how the wine industry or wine maybe by itself does this to people? I'm always shocked at how many people left great careers. You know, they catch the bug and it's like, I got to do this. And they drop everything. They cash in everything they've got. But most of the people, you know, they either came up in the wine business as part of a wine family or they were just infatuated with it and they had to do it. Yeah, it's like you're in my head because that's exactly what how I describe, you know, part of what I really love about my work, especially as I think as I've been in the industry longer to see the people that have stayed and maintained and been successful. But yes, yeah. to me, especially people who have been extremely successful in one walk of life, because as we know, it takes usually quite a bit of, of change to, to start a wine project. The people who have been successful, whether it's, you know, professional athletes or business people or actors or just, you know, whatever they may have been successful and to try to apply that same sensibility yeah. to wine to see what sticks and what doesn't. You know, when I was growing up, the daughter of Polish immigrants in Cleveland, Ohio, 50 years ago, wine wasn't really a career option. Back then, your your family had to own a vineyard or a chateau, right? And now to see how people can grow up and see how wine is part of our culture and wine and food is such an important part of our society. It's just really exciting to see that energy being brought into the wine industry. I've made an observation over the years that I wonder if you have felt the same way the people who changed careers and got into winemaking, the okay. ones that seem to make the best wines are people who worked in professions where the minutia is very important. I'm talking about everything from brain surgeons to dentists to engineers, the people who deal with the finer points and where every little detail is important. 
they end up being the best winemakers. I, again, it's like you're in my head. I, I completely agree. I think one of the biggest kind of light bulb moments for me along this thread was when I was um, talking to Scott Pruitt, who is one of the greatest race car drivers of all yeah. time. He now lives outside of Sacramento. He has a vineyard surrounding its home. He makes stunning uh, Rhone-style wines from California. And I'm like, I don't get it, because obviously he's passionate about both. And he was talking about how in race car driving, there are so many tiny little adjustments that you make to your car. You know, you're we're right, going to tweak yeah. this a little bit. We're going to tweak that a little bit. And it, it really clicked for me. And I think you're absolutely right. I think, I think also careers that have kind of a long-term vision because, you know, you plant your grapes one year, you exactly, don't have yeah. wines to sell that next year. I think it's really people who can kind of, you know, envision what, what things will be like five or six um, years ahead before they see any money coming back from their returns and their investments. So I think you're absolutely right. I just want to ask you about celebrities and wine. I think that people drinking wine, period, is good for all of us. And whether you're doing it because your favorite celebrity is endorsing it or not, or because they're actually getting their hands stained with grapes, I don't really care. I think the whole world of wine is made up of people who are um, involved in various levels. And I don't think we should treat celebrities any differently because of that. So I I enjoy them all. I I really, of course, I am more fascinated by the ones who are truly into it. I got to remember to tell you about my thoughts where Fergie from the Black Eyed Peas is concerned. (laughs) I got some thoughts there. But I know her dad owns a vineyard. Yeah, exactly. Well, we're going to talk talk about that. But anyway, we're talking right now to Marianne Warabek. She's a senior editor at Wine Spectator, senior tasting coordinator. Talk about the good jobs, huh? Hey, well, you know what? We're yeah. gonna we're gonna announce on the show today that we're doing a job switch for for twenty twenty one. Just to point out the obvious, there are two jobs that have the word senior in them, so you might want to think about that. Well, I, okay. Well, I'm a senior. <laughs> at least <laughs> at least they're telling me sometimes I am. We're gonna be back with more grape encounters right after this. You don't want to miss one second of Marianne. Many wine enthusiasts describe wine as a kind of time machine that can transport you to the place and time it was created without leaving home. Whether you're sipping a Sangiovese from Italy or a German Riesling, tasting is traveling. That being said, Total Wine & More is like the world's biggest airport. With more than 8,000 wines from every corner of the world in their stores, you can be incredibly adventurous and savor every journey. Plus, you can do all of your shopping online at TotalWine.com and pick up your order at your local store or curbside for the ultimate in safe shopping. There's always more in store at Total Wine and More. that I get to talk to that I just get so excited. You know, that's why I started drinking wine to begin with. It took me out of my shell because I was so shy and introverted, as you can tell. And I love the way that it stimulates conversation. But you know what else? There are people that just work in one aspect or another of the wine industry, and they've had those kinds of experiences so much in their life. They're just great to talk to, easy to talk to. And one of those people is Marianne Warabick. She is 
Marianne's Senior Editor and Senior Tasting Coordinator for Wine Spectator Magazine. Marianne, you are definitely down to earth. Honestly, you talk to any winemaker who's been doing this, you know, any wine lover, any wine shop owner, we're all here because we love the juice and we want to talk about it and sell it. And Well, every, every single pioneer in Napa and Sonoma, those families whose names have become larger than life, they're farmers. Yeah. They'll tell you that too. And they are to this day. So Marianne, when we started talking uh, in the first segment, I was talking about COVID and the fact that our activities have been limited because a lot of things that we would normally do, we can't do. And we're staying home a lot. I know it's got to be a challenge for a magazine like Wine Spectator to keep your readers engaged, you know, because there are certain things that you can recommend that people do this or that or the other thing, but if it's not accessible right at the moment, then it makes it a little tricky. What? Tell me how you're addressing that. Yeah, well, certainly um, covering travel has been, <laughs> been a challenge and, right. you know, the rules and regulations are changing constantly. I can speak mostly towards um, California and, and the Napa area where our office is. Um, but we've actually found quite a lot of engagement from our readers. Has it shifted a little bit? Absolutely. But just to remind you, you know, the last year, while COVID was certainly a headliner, there were other huge stories in wine that we addressed, yeah. you know, the fires that were devastating. We found a lot of people turning to us for information about the wine industry and how it was affected by the fires. Um, certainly the discussions about race relations in our country and, and inclusiveness and representation in the wine industry brought a lot of people to our pages to read interviews that we had with people of color. So, um, but, but yes, absolutely being stuck at home with your family <laughs> may have played a part into some of our coverage and um, some of the uh, readership that we had. And just to give an example of how impressive it is that our our industry has been able to well pivots the big word right but let's say um has been able to organically evolve you know we started an instagram straight talk page because one of our senior editors james molesworth was just you know feeling isolated and wanted to reach out and talk to winemakers from all over the world and, and now it's evolved into a regular segment so I've, I've seen a lot of things happen organically um as people are adopting you know, we all found where the mute button was finally on Zoom, right? Yeah. One of the things that is super cool about where we are right now is that you have access to some of the best minds in the wine business. You can sit down and talk to them just like you and I are talking right now. We're we're on Zoom. But let's admit it. Okay. We're Zooming together anyway, but you can Zoom with the Zoomiest. And that's really cool that you, because you, cause you can't necessarily get that close to these people, not because they're distant, but because there's a lot of people competing for their attention that they're really super busy. And so it's an interesting time right now to be able to really get a great understanding from the people who can give you the best understanding. And, you know, it's going to go away sometime maybe. So, well, I was just going to say, I don't know if it's going to go away. Even okay. if we get back to, I'm doing air quotes back to normal. Um, you know, I, I think that one thing that we've learned is that, that we're comfortable with this form of engagement and and um, it, it's funny, I was just talking to a winemaker in Paso um, just within the last week, and we were talking about the virtual tastings. And she said, look, you know, normally during the year, I'm traveling on sales calls, I'm I'm in the winery, yeah. I'm, I'm too busy to actually be engaged with the people at the tasting room. But with, with you know, virtual tasting, she's face-to-face yeah. -face with her customers and the feedback that right. she's getting. So I, I think that it's beneficial from um, both sides. And... Um, 
Listen, I've been to a million Zoom tastings myself um, and seminars. And, you know, I think there's a limit to after 30 or 45 minutes, my attention right. span is is falling down. But how amazing is it that everyone just said, OK, we're doing this now. And we did it. And I'm, I'm really proud and I'm really excited about um, how people have adopted at least the first phase of virtual tasting. I'm, I'm a little irritated because it was my idea, and it was. I came up with this idea, and I was telling people about it, especially wine friends that I have, and bam, suddenly everybody was doing it overnight. I got no royalty checks for it whatsoever, but you know what? I'm glad it's there. Hey, what are we going to do about Valentine's Day? Because that's coming, and some people are not getting together. I mean, romance is kind of weird right now because you can't really do the match.com thing thing all that well right and uh (laughs) my father told me the other day he said you need to meet somebody you know because i've been single now for almost two years yuck and um this is not a great dating environment right but see i think that we should take virtual tastings and to amp it up by you know you meet somebody online and you send them a bottle of wine and you open the same wine where you're at and they'll love you for that won't they send them food too Oh, I love that. If you want to give us your dating profile right now, maybe we can find someone who (laughs) I'll take anybody at this point. I've been living with a little furry 14-year-old multi-poo dog. And, uh, you know, remember my last name was Wilson, of course. And you know in that – what's that Tom Hanks movie where he's on an island and he develops a relationship with a volleyball named Wilson? Wilson. Yeah, that's where I'm at. (laughs) (laughs) I do want to get your thoughts on Valentine's Day and beyond. We're talking to Marianne Warabick. She is – Senior Editor and Senior Tasting Coordinator for Wine Spectator Magazine. Gosh, you know what? I'd like to have that job for about a year. But then I think I, I the problem is you, you taste so much wine after all. I think I taste a lot of wine. I can't even imagine how much you taste, right? And sometimes it's like, can I have some iced tea? <laughs> Am I right? Well, I, I say one of the um, biggest misconceptions that people might have about the idea of professionally blind tasting thousands of wines a year is that every single wine you put into your mouth is the most delicious thing you've ever had. <laughs> right, right, yeah. <laughs> and that's not always true. Yeah, um, it, although we certain, certainly find plenty of things to recommend, and, and we hope that um, people find our, our reviews helpful. How many wines end up getting reviewed by Wine Spectator in a year? Uh, you know, I, I didn't look at the last year, but I know it's been 17,000 uh, wines smoke. annually between all of us tasters for a while. I think it, it may have dipped down to closer to 14,000 last year. You know, we, okay. we did also suffer from some interruptions with COVID. And yeah, it's a lot of a lot of juice. Please let me just be very clear that we only review wines and blind tastings that are set up by our tasting staff. So my title, Senior Tasting Coordinator, means that I oversee that operation in Napa where um, the editors don't know what the wines are in front of them until they're unbacked. You know what I want to know from you, and we're going to take a commercial break here, but I want to know the wine that after it was unveiled, you went, oh my gosh, it was the big wow moment because you either weren't expecting it. Whatever caused you to do the big wow, it was there, and I want to hear about that next. When we return with Marianne Warabek from Wine Spectator Magazine, can you believe it right here on Grape Encounters Radio? What a wonderful day. Hey, why not go beyond being a Grape Encounters Radio listener and become an active part of our Facebook group? For more than 12 years, the Grape Encounters Facebook group page has been a virtual place to hang out with like-minded wine enthusiasts just like you. There's always a ton of content being posted there by our listeners and illustrious wine industry friends. Consider this a personal invitation to join the party and become part of the conversation. Think of it as turbocharging your wine life. 
We're back with more Grape Encounters. Hey, please do us an enormous favor and like us on Facebook. It's the very best way to learn about other opportunities that we may not share on the broadcast. Also, join our mailing list on GrapeEncounters.com. Listeners on our contact list receive some exclusive opportunities. Become an insider. Enough said. Here's your wine captain, David Wilson. All right, I have to make a confession to my guest today about being detained, I should say sequestered in my home during COVID. And I kind of forget the things that I I know I need to do where wine is concerned. Drink it out of the right glass. Don't drink it out of the bottle (laughs) as necessary. You know, make sure the temperature's right. All of these things. And I kind of cheat. Marianne Warabek is Senior Editor and Senior Tasting Coordinator for Wine Spectator. Marianne, do you find that because we're all staying home a lot that maybe we're getting a little sloppy in our wine enjoyment? You know, it's been a while since I've brought out my champagne flutes. I don't think that's bad, though. Um, Some of the best wines I've ever had have been, you know, drunk out of a juice glass. So (laughs) I I don't think we should be tough on ourselves for that. Well, that's good because I I was really beating myself up a couple of weeks ago and I felt like I had to go on the air and I had to confess it. And then tell people, you know, don't be so sloppy. And the reason I confessed it was there was this very, very special bottle of wine signed by the winemaker. I'm not going to say who it is or what the wine is because you're going to get really mad at me for doing this. And I walked past it one evening and I was a little torqued about something. And I'm drinking that wine. It needed to be chilled. And I drank it out of a red Solo cup. Okay, I've said it. We've all been there and that's okay. I mean, wine is there for us, right? Wine is not going to judge us and we shouldn't judge ourselves in that sense, honestly. If you put a couple ice cubes in there, you're still my friend. So let's just talk Valentine's Day. What's the perfect thing to serve on Valentine's Day? Well, I think this time of our lives, perhaps more than any, we really need something to look forward to. There's no vacations, there's no travel, there's no holidays with the family in my case. So I think Valentine's Day is something that, you know, even though I've been stuck in these four walls with my husband, who I, there's no one I'd rather be stuck in these four walls with, I think we really need to celebrate. So we're going to, we actually have a couple options here locally of either getting like a meal kit to prepare ourselves or having someone cook for us. We're going to splurge a little, we're going to open some nice bottles of wine. Um, The older I get, the more bubbly I drink. So there's definitely going to be some bubbly at the start to toast and kind of depending on uh, what it is we're going to end up doing, but there's probably a rich velvety red there. I'm thinking maybe something Syrah based um, that we're going to, to dig into, but I, I truly, I truly believe, you know, we need to create these moments because they're, they're not out there for us. We need to have something to look forward to. And and you know what, since you're going to be staying home anyway, plan on at least two or three bottles of wine. It doesn't all have to, to be bubbly. By the way, when it comes to bubbles, It's really getting really cool out there in terms of what is available. Like there are things like pet gnats that Mm -hmm. I just have so much fun with. And of course, cavas and proseccos and all of that. It really is a different world right now as far as bubbles is concerned. I agree. There's a ton of experimentation out there. But if you're a little confused, just look for the word brut or brut rosé. That's such a great starting point for sparkling wine lovers. It's going to be the driest, the crispest, the most mouthwatering of the um, sparkling wines out there and whether it's you know white or pink i think it's a great place to start but you're right cava prosecco offer great values 
pet Nat, do you want to explain to your listeners? No, no you go ahead. Okay, because you, you could probably do it more succinctly than I can. Uh, well, it's it's basically you're kind of halting fermentation while it's in the middle of happening. That's the most basic way of explaining it. Yeah. It's actually a very old tradition in sparkling winemaking. So, so those are going to be a little cloudier. They could be a little funkier because they're still, you know, they're kind of halfway through fermentation. So, And sometimes they kind of explode on you a little bit when you open them. So I, I highly recommend getting them as cold as possible because carbon dioxide is more soluble in cold than in warm. Uh, that's why warm beer fizzes up. But, you know, definitely get them super cold and chilled. And then when you open them up, you might find something really beautiful and aromatic and definitely a different expression of sparkling. But my recommendation is always just start with the basics, start with brute, start with brute rosé. You'll find a lot of options out there. You don't have to spend a ton of money. And that's such a good starting place for sparkling. Okay, wine. so let's get past the bubbles now. What should be in my glass right now? Anything that you like. I, I don't mean to sound cliche with that. The trends that we're seeing in the last year, that certainly people are buying more wine online. They're buying more direct from uh, the producers that they, yeah. they have a relationship with. What we're not doing is we're not going out to restaurants, obviously. And so even though wine sales have been booming in some sectors, they've yeah. been terribly hit in others. So the net loss in the last year is that wine sales have been down. We are noticing that as more economic concerns come, people are kind of purchasing more value-based wines. And of course, there's a ton of them out there, including box wines, including canned wines. But truly, back in the olden days, when they used to say white wine with chicken and red wine with beef. And, you know, now the, the whole thing is the most important thing about pairing your wine is, is who you're drinking it with. And if it happens to be yourself, then make sure you're drinking something you enjoy. Yeah, no, that's, that's exactly right. Since you get to taste wines that price-wise represent a very broad range, there are some people who are very price-driven. It's like, if it's expensive, then it must be mm -hmm. good. There are other people, and I've met a lot of winemakers who are really into this. They're going, you know what? The greatest thrill I get is to find a great $10, $20 bottle of wine. Which is more fun for you? Oh, absolutely. The inexpensive, widely available jewel. I mean, th those trophy bottles are super fun and how lucky am I to drink them? But my friends back in Ohio who want a recommendation of what they can find at the Kroger, that $600 bottle of wine isn't going to really help them. So, if, um, so it, it, it's really, really satisfying. When I'm done with a blind tasting and I unbag the wines and I see who they are, and I, at that point, then I also have access to what the price is and the distribution. Yeah. It's really, really satisfying to find the ones that I know people can find. And we, we try to highlight those as much as we try to highlight the best in every category. Where are the best deals right now in wine for great wine? Um, I think it kind of depends a little on the category. I don't want to complicate the answer, honestly, but my expectation for a single vineyard Pinot Noir from the Central Coast is going to be different than, you know, a Monterey Chardonnay. There's more grapes and less grapes available and, and certain limitations. But certainly, I think with kind of the highest end categories like an Cab or a, a single vineyard Pinot Noir, you know, you can find some great options at $40 and under, $20, $25 and under. There are so many wines like that that tend to be the wines that I drink every day. Um, and certainly, there are options at, at every stage, and including box wines and canned wines. I don't want to overlook them because they're such an emerging part of, of this wine category. Where should we look for great deals and products that you know, maybe really new to us that would be fun and exciting to discover. You know, I think especially retail, I would just go to the retailer, whether it's your Total Wine and More or whoever you might be lucky enough to, to purchase wine from and just tell them quite honestly, this is the price range I'm looking for. They're not going to judge you, I promise. All they want to do is to sell you wine, make you happy and have you come back and buy more wine. It's the golden age 
for wine drinkers. Truly. And, you know, New Zealand in particular, because I, I, I study it so much, has had double digit growth in the U.S. for I think it's like the last eight or nine years consecutively. I mean, that's really, really stunning. But if you look at it from the perspective of the New Zealand vintner who, you know, labor costs are going up, all other costs are going up. What if they want to go up to 17 or 18 dollars to cover, you know, the, the margins in their their yeah. costs to create the wine? If you go back 20 years and you look at what wines were available then versus wines available now yeah, no for wine, for, right. for wine drinkers, yeah. right? We're talking to Marianne Warabek. She is senior editor and senior tasting coordinator for Wine Spectator magazine. It's a great job. And by the way, you know what? You oh. may think that it's a cush <laughs> job that you get to drink wine all day long, but you know what? There's a lot of stinkers in there. And that's like, you know, that saying that you got to kiss a lot of frogs <laughs> to get to the prince, right? Well, certainly. As I was joking earlier, not every single wine you put in your mouth is the most delicious thing you've ever tried. I think, though, the, the hardest part of the job are the constant deadlines being in publishing. And yeah. my deadlines have deadlines. And um, it's kind of like a constant perpetual state of being in college where you sometimes have to pull all-nighters because you have a paper due the next day. So honestly, that's that's one of the more grueling parts of well, it. Well, I'm, I'm just going to tell ahead. people, though, that I'm looking right at you. You look like a college <laughs> girl. You don't look old to me. So <laughs> yeah, they say that wine will cause you to age very slowly, very, very you're, slowly. You're saying I'm pickled. I'm, I'm no. Well, okay. You, you call it whatever you want to call it. And uh, we're going to call it a commercial break. We'll be back with more Grape Encounters and Marianne Warabek right after this. Even though I spend almost every waking hour trying to track down all things wine, it takes nearly superhuman powers to keep up with the folks at Total Wine & More. I remember the first time I ever set foot in a Total Wine & More store. My jaw literally dropped to the floor as I tried to comprehend the astonishing wine, spirit, and beer offerings that were suddenly at my fingertips, wonderfully organized for super easy navigation. How do they pull off such an amazing feat? Well, it all comes down to an incomparable team of experts that constantly searches every corner of the world for amazing products priced so you can enjoy them on any occasion. Total Wine doesn't just sell the same old, same old. They're always busy forging relationships with outstanding producers on every continent so that they're able to provide exceptional wines that are exciting and new to you at incredible savings. New discoveries, must-have favorites, and more than 8,000 wine choices that you can even explore from home on your laptop or phone. Explore Total Wine in whatever manner suits you best, in person or if you've come to enjoy that curbside experience, you can order online at TotalWine.com and pick up your wine in the store or just outside if a contactless experience is your preference. And make sure to check for special opportunities that are always plentiful at TotalWine.com. There are always plenty of reasons to get excited about your next Total Wine experience. We like to talk about wine. You know, imagine the dilemma being me right now. I, my job is not easy because today I'm talking to Marianne Warbeck. She's been with Wine Spectator magazine. I'm mean, we're talking about the big one. I mean, not the earthquake big one, the big one magazine wise, you know? It and She's been with them for 24 years, almost 25 years. 
Man, she's covered a lot of ground. Yeah, I have I have two jokes when I talk about how long I've worked at Wine Spectator. One is, yeah, and I started when I was seven, which, you know, usually no one laughs at. But the other joke that I make immediately after is that I'm still the new kid there. There are so many of my colleagues that have been there for 30 plus years. And I think that's one of the most exciting things about it is to work around such a dedicated group of people. And it's such better. a great magazine. And I, and you know, not, you. And by the way, not to take anything away from Wine Enthusiasts, which is also a great magazine, but you get so much good information there. You just, you know, a subscription to that um, will really help complete your wine lifestyle. If you don't have, my dad got me a subscription several years ago, and I think that really got me super addicted to wine. But my dad, I never take expensive wine to my dad because he's, he thinks it's foolish. And then to tie into what we were talking about earlier, you know, how there's so much virtuality in wine, you know, I have to mention winespectator.com is, is where our breaking news stories are, where we have videos and other types of recommendations. And um, there's a lot going on there as well. A lot of recipe recommendations. You know, Dr. Vinny, our resident wine advice columnist, uh, fielded a lot of uh, COVID-related questions over the air from people uh, wanting to know whether or not yeah. they could turn their wine into hand sanitizer or make wine from, I think it was, people were asking about making wine from raisins and milk. I think people were really bored at home for a while there. I have observed that during this COVID crisis, that there is a very strong interest, are you ready, mm -hmm. in sweet wines. Oh, sure. Like this really big, I don't mean a little bit, I mean a lot. People are asking for sweet wines a lot, even sweet red wines, and God knows Lambrusco is making a huge comeback. But in general, do you think that sweet wine is starting to gain traction and people are starting to think of it as something other than the old you know, white Zinfandel stuff? I don't have any data to back up your theory, but I will say that, you know, you and I know that some of the best wines in the world are sweet, whether they're um, fortified ports or, you know, the Sauternes of Bordeaux. I mean, no one's going to turn down a glass of Chateau Yachim, right? Certainly, I know, I can say that when I was able to see my family a year ago, <laughs> um, the sweet wine was always the one that everyone gravitated towards. Yeah. It, it was like, it's like um, there's a stigma, I think, attached to people who say they like sweet wines, that somehow it, it means that they're unsophisticated. But the truth is that sweet wines take a lot of effort to make and, again, are some of the most uh, respected wines in the world. What I'm going to advise listeners is this, that you should be loud and proud about liking whatever you like. And, yes. and you should just Amen. say, you know what? Hey, I like sweet wine. On the flip side, it's okay to say, I don't like Pinot Noir. I don't like it. I don't like yes. the taste of it. And you know what? Nobody is going to not invite you to the next party, right? I, but I should warn you that I think sweet's a word that people don't understand. I mean, there's okay. dessert wines. Fair enough. If, you yeah. know, set, set those aside. But I think sometimes people, when they say they don't like sweet wines, I think they're trying to tell me they don't like wines that are have very ripe flavors. You know, let's, let's take like a red okay. Zinfandel where the flavors can tend towards jammy that's not to their taste so technically they aren't you know sweet but they are um, riper in taste so i do think that's a word that we just have to be careful about how we're using but absolutely to your first point what it is you like or don't like own it you know please keep an open mind it's so true and i'll tell you that pretentious thing that was so prevalent uh years ago it's it's pretty much gone now it's just the guy that's got a new tesla and a new girlfriend that's it you know <laughs> but hey listen uh, marianne uh, we got just a, a minute 
minute or two left. I want you to just complete this exercise for me, okay? The weekend is here, let's say, okay? Yes. And I am bored out of my mind. I want to do something wine-related, and I'm still stuck in COVID hell. Help me, Marianne Kenobi. You're my only hope. <laughs> You don't know how, how apropos that was that you said to me. I'm, a, I'm known as a huge uh, Star Wars nerd. I recommend you you check in with your favorite um, wineries, um, you know, hopefully California wineries, and go to their website. And you'll find that so many of them are doing these virtual tastings. And I know we talked a little bit about there might be some virtual tasting fatigue, yeah. but there are so many wineries out there that are doing such interesting things. Um, I saw that At Home with KJ has virtual cooking classes to pair with their wines. Um, Bouchain in uh, Carneros, I, I, they were some early adopters of virtual tastings. They have different levels of, depending on your knowledge of wine and wine and cheese pairings. Uh, Charles Krug in Napa has a wine and comedy show going on. So yes, go to your favorite winery and look at what they have available. Marianne, I so, I, gosh, I so appreciate you spending so much time with us. That was very gracious of you. Marianne Warbeck uh, from Wine Spectator Magazine. She's a senior editor and senior tasting coordinator. I had so much fun. I feel like I, I feel like I don't Thank have to you. do anything fun for the rest of the week because my quota has been filled for the next <laughs> five weeks because you're just you're just a delight. And, and <laughs> but, so okay, much. we're gonna go. But one last thing: can you tell us a story or something that you're working on right now that uh, we should be keeping an eye out for? Oh yeah, we've got some really great stories coming up. I can't tease too much because we can. But I will say that we're kind of continuing our thread of of being very profile driven to find other wine lovers and wine producers that you have a lot in common with because of how passionate they are about wine. And then I've been um, continuing talking to um, Black-owned um, brands and other uh, people in the BIPOC community. So we're trying to in- increase um, awareness, diversity, inclusion. We-, we know that's so important in the wine industry to be more welcoming. So keep an eye out on our website and our magazine. I think you'll find especially some really fascinating profiles coming up. Well, thank you very much. I sure appreciate sure. it. Again, Marianne Warbeck. It's spelled, by the way, W-O-R-O-B-I-E-C. Okay. Did you want to give them my social security number next? Uh, social security <laughs> number is 687-29. No, you know what? It, it would be my luck that it really would be somebody's social security number and yeah, I, no, I, go, yeah, I, I get hauled off to yeah, jail. But look for Marianne's, um, you know, she's a regular contributor, obviously, to the magazine. Mm-hmm. And just follow her and you'll have a lot of fun because she's our kind of lady. She really is. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. going to do it for Grape Encounters this week. Thank you, Marianne. Uh, Cheers, everyone. Thank you. And uh, we'll see you back here next week, okay? Bye-bye. This edition of Grape Encounters has been brought to you by Total Wine & More. When Total Wine & More challenged themselves to keep more than 8,000 wines on hand, they pioneered a consumer experience that 99.999% of the population would have thought was impossible. It was an undertaking that I still can't totally get my arms around today. But I've spent many hours of my personal time being that adult kid in a candy store, using my mouse to learn about their extremely affordable top 20 wines of the year, or learning eye-opening details about the iconic winemakers behind Total Wine's Legends of Wine collection. TotalWine.com is an online resource so rich with content It's hard to imagine a more satisfying wine-related experience. Spend all the time you want at TotalWine.com or at your nearest store. Just make sure you're back here with me at this same time next week for another Grape Encounter. (music) 